Welcome back. I am ecstatic to walk us through in this session, Jesus's content that he speaks to the church in Smyrna. This was a persecuted church that was facing all kinds of trials. Jesus actually lets them know what the next trial is gonna be, and he gives them a prescription for fear that they may be wrestling with. And I pray that through this session, you'll unpack these beautiful truths and you'll apply them in your local church so you can walk in victory over fear. Jesus opens his letter to the persecuted church in Smyrna by identifying himself as the first and the last, the one who has died but now lives forevermore. Now this specific contextualization would have encouraged the saints in Smyrna because of a few reasons. First and foremost, the city of Smyrna had a reputation throughout antiquity of dying and then coming back to life. In fact, whether it would be through an earthquake or a military invasion, the citizens of Smyrna would come together and they would then bequest the help of their gods and goddesses to resurrect the city from the grave. And they would celebrate this resurrection narrative, if you will, every year. But Jesus is telling the saints in Smyrna that his resurrection narrative is the only story of resurrection that should be propagated throughout the city. Now, the saints in Smyrna were heavily persecuted because they would not bow to the imperial cult that said, you must worship the emperor in order to get financial success. You know, it's almost like in our day that no matter what your line of work is, if there is pressure for you to shave your numbers, to sleep with somebody to get ahead, to climb that corporate ladder, to do something that you know that is immoral in order to gain a pension plan, a raise, a promotion, Jesus is telling us, just like the saints in Smyrna, I will reward you with life everlasting if you will continue to deny the pagan practices of the society around you and allow myself to be the one who, who gives you all the prosperity that is necessary spiritually, whether it comes physically through material gain or not. And Jesus identifies the suffering of the saints in Smyrna by telling them, I know because you have been faithful to me because you have propagated my resurrection story, because you have not participated in pagan worship, you're poor. I see your poverty, but yet he says, you were spiritually rich. You have the abundance of my spiritual riches with you, although in the material world, you are suffering because the pagan citizens are cutting you off financially, and Jesus comforts them. Jesus has no rebuke for the persecuted church in Smyrna. In fact, he challenges them to continue on in their faithfulness to him. Jesus also identifies this reality, that he is letting them know in advance that more severe persecution is actually coming their way. But he then gives them a prescription in order to deal with this oncoming imprisonment. He says, do not fear. Continuously put your trust in me. I am the one who is your hope. You know, it reminds me even of the stories of martyrdom or even future imprisonment that could take place in my life because of my unashamed proclamation of the gospel. And I like to think of it in a romantic way to say, you know what, if somebody were to say, if you preach Christ, I'm taking you to prison, then I would love to say, yes, I would be bold enough to say, I will not recant on the gospel message or Jesus Christ. And I'm sure every saint would say, yes and amen, I would do the same thing, DA. But you know what, I juxtapose that fictitious 
probable scenario with a more realistic scenario of everyday life? Am I willing to crucify my flesh? Am I willing to say no to the misdeeds of my flesh through the empowerment of the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit in order to pursue holiness throughout the mundane activities of everyday life? That's where I fail. This is where Jesus' encouragement to the saints in Smyrna makes it real to me because I'm not facing the severity of persecution that they were. So it's easy in a temptation for us to just check out of the conversation when Jesus says imprisonment is coming and we're like, in our situation in America, that's not a reality. So you know what? That was for them. That's not for us. But I want us to think through the narrative of Scripture. I think of James chapter 1 verse 2 where it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. When you have a diversity of trials, that's when we're supposed to consider it joy. But you know what? Let me be candid. Let me unveil my heart. Let me tell you transparently, this is where I fail. I, I wrestle with migraine headaches on a consistent basis. My kids, somehow they know what buttons to push to frustrate my wife and I. In addition to that, it seems like on Sunday mornings, the ride to church is when my quote-unquote level of persecution seems to be at its utmost highest. And I recall recently, a few Sundays ago, my wife and I, we were running late, we woke up early so that we could be on time for church, and yet we were still late. Somehow, our kids forgot that, hey, in the morning you eat breakfast, you need to have your hair combed, ladies, for our daughters, and for our son, he's just running amok and throwing toys everywhere. So we're trying to get out the house on time. We got out the house, it was late, our kids are already asking what's for lunch, and man, they just finished breakfast, and we're frustrated. I have this angst in my heart, my son is screaming his head off in the back seat because he dropped this toy, and all of a sudden, I look at my wife and I grab her hand and I said, let's pray. And we prayed, and in that prayer, we quoted James chapter one, verse two. Now, before you think, man, what a great story, let me tell you, that story is actually an anomaly. That's not my normal practice. Normally, I get frustrated, I get irritated, I shut down, I begin to wrestle with my flesh, and unfortunately, I wear my life on my face. My kids know when I'm discontent. My wife knows that when I shut down and I stop talking and I have a dead stare when I'm driving, that I'm really wrestling with something and I'm actually losing the battle to my flesh. So rather than checking out of the conversation and saying, you know what, if I face imprisonment or if I face martyrdom, yes, I will submit myself holistically to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's also balance that with the reality of the everyday trials that we're facing. And may you learn from my mistake so that James 1 verse 2 won't be an anomaly in your life. It will be the natural, authentic rhythm. Romans chapter 8 verses 9 through 13 reminds us that God the Holy Spirit lives inside of every Christian. He gives us the strength to put to death the misdeeds of our flesh so that we can say no to our flesh and yes to the things of God. And Jesus finishes his letter to the saints in Smyrna by telling them, he who conquers, there's that word again, conquer. He who conquers, they shall never taste the second death. They'll never be hurt by the second death. So what does that mean? Well, in the phrasing that John used under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is what we call a double negative in the Greek. Now, let me explain to you the importance of this. A double negative in the Greek is not like a double negative in English. For example, you can see I'm wearing a Fitbit. This tracks my steps throughout the day. Now, the reality of me saying I don't have no Fitbit in English, the two negatives don't have no, that would say that actually I do have a Fitbit because I don't have no Fitbit. It sounds confusing, but track with me. In Greek, it's not like English. Two negatives don't equal a positive. In fact, two negatives rather further emphasize the reality of a guarantee of the negative never taking place. 
So Jesus comforts the saints in Smyrna by saying, although imprisonment is coming, although persecution is still there, although poverty is a reality in your life, listen, stay faithful and true. Walk in the victory I've given you, and you will never be hurt by the second death. It's a guarantee. Why? Because John chapter 17, verse 3. Eternal life simply means that we know Jesus, who God the Father has sent to be the propitiation for our sins. He is our Savior. We took God's plan of redemption when we admitted we were sinners and we embraced Christ as our Lord and Savior. So to our churches today, as you go into your group discussions, think through this question and let it marinate on the forefront of your mind. Regardless of the level of persecutions we're facing, whether it's everyday mundane trials or perhaps it's on a social level in our communities, are we going to remain faithful to Jesus? Will we walk in victory as conquerors over fear by being reminded of the fact that if we know Jesus, we actually are in possession of eternal life? And here's the challenge, saints. Live like you have eternal life. Remember, eternal life does not begin when we enter into glory. No, no, no. Eternal life begins the moment of our conversion. When the Holy Spirit regenerates us and we are born from above, we have eternal life. Remember that when you're facing the trials of various kinds. Live like you have eternal life and life in abundance. Doing this, you will then show the world what it looks like to walk in victory as conquerors through Christ over fears of persecution and everyday trials.